Hi there, you're listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. I'm your host, Alana Terry, and this season of the Unabridged Podcast is the Terror in the Sky series. This is an unforgettable, fast-paced collection of six novellas that tell you the story of what happens when multiple strangers board a doomed flight. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. Chapter 3 I've been in scary situations before. You don't get to be my age without going through your fair share of fear and trauma. That's the way life works, isn't it? I'm certainly not afraid to die. I figure that, statistically speaking, it's going to happen soon. And since I'm not really keen on the idea of weeks or months in a hospital bed, drifting in and out of consciousness, it's not that frightening to picture myself getting shot in the head. People who know me, people who've read about that flight, ask me about it quite a lot. Did I know what was going to happen when I stood up to General? Did I know his gun was going to misfire? No, I didn't. But that doesn't make me a hero, not in the least. I'm getting ahead of myself, though. I suppose if I'm going to tell this story, I should try to stick to things in the order they happened. That's harder to do than it sounds, you know. Sometimes I wonder how people like Ian manage, who make their living from writing words all day. On the airplane, I was seated toward the back. There was a family who got on, then got off again before they closed the doors. I think it was God giving the mother a feeling, warning her that something was about to go terribly wrong. I've added that family to my prayer list as well. They looked so nice, all dressed up for their flight. I remember when that was the thing to do. You'd never travel anywhere without putting on your Sunday best. Now people show up at the airport in sweats or flannels. Looks like they're still in their pajamas. I suppose if that's how they feel the most comfortable, that's fine with me. But it's one thing that made this family stand out to me all the more. The mother wore a long denim skirt. So did her daughters. The father was young but had a long beard. Made me wonder if the man had ever seen a razor in his life. They were quiet, sweet. But there was something in the mother's eyes that caught my attention. A fear she was trying to hide. I've been praying for her quite a bit these days. I'm afraid I can't recall just how many kids she had and how many of them were boys and how many were girls, so I focus on praying for her. She's the one I remember most. And in my prayers, I ask God to ease that fear she's been carrying around for so long. He sure is an amazing Lord, isn't he? Big enough to bear our burdens, even the ones that feel like they're going to drown us in despair. I think about that young mother, and I think about Psalm 91. Are you familiar with that one? It's such a beautiful blessing to pray over anyone who's frightened. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. 
I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Such a beautiful promise, isn't it? And how encouraging to picture ourselves resting in the shadow of the Almighty. So many times we think of shadows as places of fear and uncertainty, of darkness, like the shadow of death. Except this verse is different. It's talking about the shadow of the Almighty and the rest we find ourselves in when we're safe within His protective care. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. God brought this verse to mind a few decades ago when I was going to return to China on a missionary trip. I didn't live there anymore, obviously, but I've never forgotten my second home where I grew up. I've lost track of how many times I've returned there since I've given my life entirely over to Christ. Maybe six or seven? I go carrying scripture. They call me a Bible donkey. The idea of it sure makes me laugh. Well, I was all set to go on one of my Bible smuggling trips when the bird flu epidemic broke out. Do you remember that? My family didn't want me traveling to Asia, said it was too dangerous. So I just reminded them of Psalm 91, told them that God promised to save me from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. If that isn't a reference to divine protection from bird flu, then my name isn't Lucy Jean. I used to have that entire chapter memorized, all of Psalm 91, I mean. Now it's hard to recall the verses all at once, but I trust that God will bring the right ones to mind when I need them most. I'm afraid I've been rambling so much I forgot what I'd started telling you about in the first place. But when I'm rocking in my prayer chair, those are the verses that come to mind when I pray for the young mother who God used to get her family off that plane to safety. Chapter 4 I don't keep up with the news all that much. I figure that if there's something happening in the world God wants me to pray for, He's going to let me know about it whether or not I pick up a paper. I guess lots of people have written about me in articles and things like that. Say I saved the whole plane for what I did, standing between the gunman and his victim. Well, that's not how I see it. And if you want to know the full truth, I think most of those stories are blowing things out of proportion. General was holding a gun, about to shoot a young girl barely past her teens. I told him if he wanted to kill someone that badly, it may as well be me. I've already explained to you before my philosophy on death. If it's a bang from a bullet and then I'm in heaven, don't you think that sounds more bearable than languishing for years in a nursing home? Now, if I were younger, if I still had kids to look after, for example, we wouldn't be having this discussion at all. But the death of an old lady who's already raised her kids and grandkids and has lived to see multiple great-grandkids is far less distressing than the death of a young girl 
who's not even lived a quarter of her life yet. Even an evolutionist who doesn't believe an ounce of scripture would agree with me on that one. The young woman I allegedly saved is named Willow. I know that because I was chatting for a while with her roommate on the plane. Kennedy and Willow, two college girls traveling home to visit Alaska. They weren't what you'd expect at first in Best Friends. Kennedy was quiet and studious. We got to talking, and I learned that she grew up on the mission field in China as well. I don't believe in coincidences, but this was most certainly a wink from the Almighty if I've ever experienced one. She was a sweet girl, that Kennedy. A little bit timid, still unaware of the amazing power of the Holy Spirit residing in her. But she's learning. I get the sense when I pray for her that God has amazing and dramatic plans for Kennedy's life. The kind of story you'd like to see made into a movie or listened to as one of those old-fashioned radio dramas. I also get the sense that Flight 219 wasn't the last time I'll be crossing paths with this sweet young daughter of God. But maybe that's just the wishful thinking of an old woman like me. Well, inasmuch as Kennedy was quiet and sweet and kind, her best friend Willow was quite the opposite. Not in a bad way, mind you. It wasn't like she was brash or rude. Just louder, more vibrant. The first thing you'd notice about Willow if you met her was her hair, dyed bright blue. Don't ask me why someone would take such gorgeous locks and style them that way. I guess that's just what some young people like to do these days. I'll never understand it, but that doesn't mean I should judge. Willow was sitting with a young man on the flight, which gave me the chance to get to know Kennedy more. And we talked about it, how Willow isn't a believer. Not yet, I should say. How Kennedy wanted to share the gospel with her friend, but still hadn't figured out how. I sensed a lot of fear in Kennedy. She's another one that when I pray for her, Psalm 91 comes to mind. If you say, The Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. I guess it's a meaningful verse when you're talking about a stranger you meet on a hijacked flight. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. I can't say for sure that I've met a real angel before, but I have my suspicions. Like that time when I was a kid and Shanghai was getting bombed and my mother and I were trying to reach home. There was a man who claimed to be a French diplomat who just showed up to our aid. But that's a story for another day. I absolutely believe that angels are surrounding us, protecting us from harm. And yet there are so many believers just like Kennedy who still feel scared of sharing the gospel. My prayer for her is that God will fill her up with incredible boldness, 
that the fear of man will no longer have a hold on her, and that she'll finally learn how to tap into that amazing power she has as an anointed child of God. I'm trying to think if there was anything else to tell you about what happened before the flight got taken over. I'm sure I talked to other passengers, but like I said, I'm afraid I don't recall details quite as clearly as I used to. There was a young woman in first class I prayed with while I was waiting to use the bathrooms. I would have added her to my prayer list as well, but I'm embarrassed to admit I can't recall what it was we prayed about or why God prompted me to stop and talk with her in the first place. I'm sure at this point you want to hear all about the hijacking itself, but I'm afraid I have bad news for you there, too. I slept right through it. I'm telling you the gospel truth. After I talked with Kennedy a while and we prayed for her friend Willow's salvation, I went to use the bathroom and stopped and prayed with someone else, although, like I said, I can't seem to remember who. Then I headed to the back of the plane and took a little nap. When I woke up, a man was waving a gun at Willow, the young woman I'd been praying for just an hour or so earlier. So that's when I stood up and did what any other believer in my situation would do. Chapter 5 when the family came over for dinner a few weeks ago, everyone wanted to hear that part of the story. What I was feeling. Wasn't I scared? Did I have any idea the gun wouldn't go off? How did I ever get to be so brave? Really, the answer to all those questions is simple. I knew Willow wasn't saved, which meant that I couldn't stand by and watch her die. Not while I had the chance to do something to help her. The news articles and blog posts tell me I preached for five or ten minutes with the hijacker's gun pointed at my head. I'm afraid I don't remember that part either, so I can't give you many details about what I said. But I know people have read about me in the news. At one point, there was even speculation that I might be an angel— because apparently nobody could find me when the airport security folks were conducting their interviews after we landed. There's actually a really good reason for that. Nobody told me I needed to stick around, and I wasn't injured at all, so I decided that what I really needed was a good night's rest. I got off the plane and found myself a quiet gate in the airport, and I napped until the next morning. Then I woke myself up and talked with a sweet young man serving coffee at a little donut shop, whose wife is expecting their very first baby, a tiny boy with Down syndrome. But that's a story for another day. I don't like the fact that my actions on Flight 219 have been turned into something spectacular. It wasn't that at all. But I do know people want to hear my side of the story. And since I can't remember at all what I said or felt while I was trying to talk the gunman down, let me tell you about my prayers for him since then. I don't believe in praying for the dead, 
That's just superstitious mumbo-jumbo. General died in the fire. I know some people are upset he won't face the American justice system, but I'm certain that God's justice is quite a bit more powerful and to be feared. So I don't bother praying for General, not because I don't care about him or the state of his soul when he passed, but because he's already gone. He had his chance on earth to get right with God, and who knows, maybe he did right before he drew his last breath. We won't know about that until we reach heaven. But I do pray for General's kids. They're so young still. It's not their fault their father took over an airplane and murdered those innocent people. Unfortunately, I worry that General's children will blame themselves, since after all it was their school General was so upset about. I guess if anything good has come from this, it's that the Detroit School District has closed down Brown Elementary. The students enrolled there are currently being taught in trailers at nearby schools, but plans are underway for a new building, funded mostly by private donations. I'm thankful for that much, at least. But it's such a shame the way it all came about, isn't it? So I've added General's children to my daily prayer list. I pray that God would give them maturity beyond their years to see and understand that their father loved them, but he needed help. Like I said, I don't pay much attention to news reports, but there have been quite a bit of rumblings about General's mental health. Who knows, with the right doctors and a lot of prayer, maybe he could have run for mayor of Detroit or gotten himself elected superintendent himself and brought about change for his children in a much more positive way. It's too late for anything like that to happen now, though. And so I pray, day in, day out, when I can't sleep, I make my way down to my prayer room, sit in my rocking chair, talk to God. I talk to him about the passengers I met on that flight, the mother in the long skirt who took her children off the plane, the mom traveling with that sweet little boy, that studious college student Kennedy, and her blue-haired best friend. I pray for them all. I pray for God to cover over the fear and the trauma they endured on that flight. I pray for the Almighty to wash over them with His peace that surpasses all understanding. I read Psalm 91, and I pray the verses over them. Pray that God would protect them, that He would be with them in trouble, that He will deliver them and show them His salvation. And I pray for you, too, my sweet and faithful reader. I pray that your heart and soul today would be filled with the riches and fullness of God's grace. I pray that He would open the eyes of your heart so that you might grasp and understand how wide and how long and how high and how deep is His amazing love for you. I pray that He will sustain you through sadness and sickness and trials, and that when you reach the last chapter of your life on God's beautiful earth, 
you'll be able to say with confidence along with the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That is my prayer for you. And that's what I ask God on your behalf each and every time I talk with him. But that's a story for another day. Thanks for listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. This has been the Terror in the Skies series written by me, Alana Terry, and narrated by Becky Dowdy. If you want to listen to or read this entire series without interruptions, you can look for the Terror in the Skies series by Alana Terry wherever you shop for ebooks, paperbacks, or audiobooks.